My name is Alan Carr. I'm pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Lenore, North Carolina. Thank you for visiting our webpage and for taking the time to listen to one of our sermons. We hope this sermon, which was preached in our pulpit, will be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and help you grow in your understanding of God's Word. God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of the Word of God. We're winding up this series on Jacob. There are probably a couple more sermons after this one, and that'll be the end of our time in Jacob's life, and it's gone longer than I anticipated. Not the number of sermons, but how long it took me to preach them, because they always last longer than I think they will. And this one probably will too, but you know, at some point you just got to say, well, what are you going to do? But this section of Jacob's life, and I'll touch more on this in a minute, Jacob really kind of uh, falls to the back burner in the book of Genesis. When you get to a certain point, the story ceases to be about him so much as it does about somebody else. And uh, we'll just kind of dip in and out of his story as he uh, pops to the surface of the book of Genesis over the next couple of chapters. But I want to read tonight out of Genesis chapter 45, verses 25 through 28, and talk about a family reunion, a family reunion. These are, these are great little scenes we have from Jacob's life. As he draws toward the end of the way, God gives us four little glimpses into his life, and I want to just touch on those briefly tonight. Uh, Genesis chapter 45 and verse number 25. If you have that place, let's stand together and we'll read these few verses here and make, make some comments and uh, let you get home. The Bible says, Genesis 45, 25, they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. As I said a minute ago, after Joseph, rather after Jacob, loses Joseph and he's sold into slavery by his brothers, Jacob kind of falls off the front page. He kind of drifts into the background of the narrative of the book of Genesis and the focus of the story shifts to Joseph and what God is doing in his life. But there are still brief glimpses of Jacob here and there until you get to chapter 48 and 49. He comes back to the forefront. But I'm just going to kind of give you a brief synopsis of what's happened up to this point. And after the last time we looked at Jacob, we talked about how that he had lost his son Joseph. He had been sold into slavery. But during a time of intense famine in Canaan, Jacob hears there's grain down in Egypt. And he sends his ten oldest sons down to Egypt to buy food for the family. That's in Genesis chapter number 42. And his sons go and buy the food, and they encounter their brother Joseph, the one they had sold into slavery some years before. At least 13, maybe as many as 15 or 17 years had been since they had done that. And they see him down there, but they don't recognize who he is. He's dressed like an Egyptian, not a not a Jew, not a Hebrew anymore. They don't, they don't recognize him. He recognizes them. Now, of course, their conversation, he asked them about their father, 
And they tell him about their father. They tell him about their younger brother, Benjamin, who's still at home. And after a time, Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies, and he has them thrown in prison. They protest their innocence. After a time, he lets them out, all but Simeon, whom he keeps basically as a ransom. He lets the other nine go home with the promise that they will return and bring their younger brother Benjamin as proof that their story is true. And he lets them know, you better not come back unless your little brother's with you. And so these brothers are afraid of Joseph, and they speak to one another about what they did to Joseph all those years ago, how they sold him into slavery. But they don't realize Joseph can understand everything they're saying. They don't understand that he understands their language. And they make a full confession before Joseph of everything they've done. And it touches his heart, and he knows his brothers have changed. So these nine men go home with this grain. When they stopped on the way home and they opened their grain sacks to feed their animals, they found the money they had given to the Egyptians to buy the grain back in their sacks, and they are terrified. They don't know that Joseph has had it placed there, and they think now on top of being accused of being spies, we're going to be accused of being thieves as well, and they're, they're convinced. As they talk among themselves, they are convinced that God is punishing them for what they did to Joseph and their father all those years ago. I wouldn't say so much that God is punishing them, but God is balancing the scales. God is using all these events to bring all this out and bring reconciliation in that family. When they finally arrive home, they tell this harrowing story to their father. They tell him about the money, they tell him about the grain, they tell him all that stuff. And they tell Jacob, we can't go back unless we take Benjamin with us. And Jacob is grief-stricken. I mean, Joseph in his mind is dead. Now Simeon is locked up in prison in Egypt. And the Egyptians are demanding that uh, Benjamin be sent down there as well. And so he doesn't know what to do. Well, he tells them, you're not going to take my boy. And that's the end of it. So they eat all the food. This happens in chapter 43. And when the grain runs out, Jacob tells his sons to get back down to Egypt and buy some more food. They say, we're not going. The man down there said not to come back without Benjamin, and unless you let him go, we're not going either. After a time, Jacob relents. And he sends Benjamin with his brothers, a dangerous proposition in itself. Plus, he sends great gifts, the best of Canaan to Joseph, and all of these things, even sends double money to pay for the first shipment of grain and for what they're going to buy this time. And then through a series of events designed by Joseph, Joseph brings his brothers to a place of full confession. They admit everything they've done. Judah does this. Joseph reveals himself to them that he is alive and he is their brother. And those brothers are reconciled. That is a wonderful thing. Then in 44 and 45, Joseph sends his brothers back to Canaan to get their father. They send food, they send clothing, they send everything they need, along with empty wagons to haul Jacob and all their families and all their stuff down into Egypt. And that brings us to our text. And I want to follow this trail of Jacob leaving Canaan, going down to Egypt, all the way through chapter 47. As I said, just kind of hit the high spots. As he moves from a time of great despair to a time of unimaginable joy, 
as he goes from believing that Joseph is dead to learning he's still alive to actually embracing him in his arms. I want to talk to you about a family reunion. And there are some events that unfold here that I want to point out. As we do this, just remember this truth. That even when you can't see what God is doing, God is always working to accomplish His will in your life. Now there were times when Jacob believed that God was working against him. But in the events I want to explore today, he learned that God was always working for him, no matter how it appeared. And that's what I want you to keep in mind as well. So notice first tonight in the text we've read, chapter 45, verses 25 through 28, there is a time of enlightenment. Now as I said, his sons return from Egypt with great news. They have food, they have clothing, they have wealth, they have all of this stuff, but they have the news that Joseph is still alive. And when these boys come in and tell their father that Joseph is alive, now you've got to remember, these are the same ones who all those years before had brought him that coat of many colors that had been dipped in the blood of a goat, and they let their father assume that Joseph was dead. They've known better all this time. They knew what they did, but they've not owned up to it, and now they've got to come out and tell their father that Joseph is alive. And probably along with that statement, there is some confession as they reveal what they've done. But when Jacob hears this, it's almost too good to be true. And the Bible says in verse 26 that his heart fainted. That is, he felt like he was going to die. It's like his heart stopped because it says he believed them not. Now, I wouldn't have believed these guys if they told me it was raining outside and I walked out and got drenched. I wouldn't believe anything these guys said. They are notorious liars, and he knows that. And he's probably wondering, what kind of scam are they trying to pull on me now? And they didn't believe any. he didn't believe anything they said, and they would have lied to anybody about anything, at least up to this point. But he can't argue the fact that there stands Simeon, and Simeon has been in jail down in Egypt. There stands Benjamin. He sent him back with his brothers to go to Egypt to buy grain, and now he is back. And when he sees the wagons, the Bible says, he believed their story, his strength returns, and he said, it's enough. I believe it. He sees all these empty wagons. He said, let's load up and let's go, and that's what they do. It's almost more than this man can comprehend. Now, we don't know, as I said, how long it's been since Jacob has seen Joseph. We don't know. We know it's been at least 13 years. It may have been as long as 15 or even more years, but it's been a while. And during that time, Jacob has lived his life under a, a, a pall of darkness because he believes Joseph is dead. When he comes to assume that Joseph is dead, with him dies his hope for the future because he saw in Joseph the heir to his family and now that Joseph is dead, he doesn't know who's going to take over when he's gone. Besides that, he loved Joseph more than all of his other sons, and so his heart is broken. And with the death of Joseph, Jacob experienced the death of hope in his heart. He experienced the death of joy. And for years, he believes that his favorite son has been torn apart by animals, 
And all of those years, Jacob believed that God had forsaken him. You say, how do you know that? Well, I assume that from what I read in the Scripture. Because you don't have a record of God speaking to Jacob at any time at all during that interval. God never opens his mouth. He never tells Jacob what's going on. He never gives him a word of hope. He never gives him any encouragement. He never lets him in. He never goes to him and says, Jacob, I'll let you in on a secret. Them boys have been pulling the wool over your eyes. Joseph's okay. And one day it's all going to work out. As far as Jacob knows, God is done with him. And God is finished with him. And he has reached a place in his life where he has just no more joy, no more hope left. But now he understands that even in the midst of his darkness, God was accomplishing works of great life. Even in his time of great weakness, God was doing something of great power. He couldn't see what God was doing, and he assumed God was doing nothing. But now he finds out God has been doing plenty, and it filled his heart with hope and joy. Now what can we learn from that? I think it's just this. It's just a reminder that God's always working behind the scenes. Folks, I'll tell you, we often look at our problems and our darkness and the things that happen in our lives that are negative in nature. We look at them as proofs of God's disfavor. In reality, it's a time when God is arranging the pieces of His plan for those who know Him. And in His time, God will reveal that plan and He will let us see where He has been working all along. For Jacob, this was a time of enlightenment because he discovered that God was still busy even when he thought God was doing nothing. And in your time of darkness, you have one duty. You have one duty and one duty only, and that duty is to trust the Lord. He knows what He's doing, and even when you can't see what He's doing or understand what He's doing, just know and believe that God's doing something, and in His time, it's going to work out. We talked about Abraham this morning. In the time of your darkness, be like Abraham, who was able to say to Isaac, as they went to the place of sacrifice, my God will provide Himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham had no idea what God was going to do, but he believed God was up to something, and so he trusted God even when he couldn't see what God was doing. Be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they thought they would die in the fiery furnace, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Whether he gets us out of this or lets us die in it, one thing's for sure, you ain't going to have power over us. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. What I'm saying is, in the times when you don't know what God is doing, trust God that he is up to something, and that he's working a plan in the darkness, and one day he'll turn on the light, and you'll understand what God is doing. One more quick passage that we reference quite a bit around here, and it's really central to my theology, and I hope to yours too. And we know that all things work together for good to them that who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, 
For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Those two verses simply remind us that God is always doing something bigger than you and I can comprehend or understand. And our duty is to walk in faith, trusting him, even in the times of darkness. A lot of times we stumble along like a blind man on a mountainside. We have no idea where we're going. We have no idea what we're doing. But God knows the way. And we can trust Him to lead us in the right path. Now I want you to turn into chapter 46 with just the next verse there. And I want you to see not only a time of enlightenment, but it was also a time of encouragement. You'll find this in the first seven verses of chapter 46 again painting with a broad brush. As Jacob travels to Egypt, he comes to Beersheba. Now Beersheba was a familiar place to Jacob because it was where he had been raised as a boy. It was where his childhood home was. It was also a very important place, not only to him, but to his father and to his grandfather, Abraham. Both of those men, Abraham and Isaac, they built altars there, they worshipped God there, and they heard from God down at Beersheba. When he gets back to Beersheba, Jacob also stops there, and he builds an altar, and he offers sacrifices, and he worships God. And he does this just before he leaves Canaan behind. If you're coming out of Canaan, going to, or Israel now, and going to go to Egypt, in those days the caravan routes went through Beersheba. It was on the very southern border of the land of Canaan. And when you left that, you'd be out in the desert and you'd be moving out toward Egypt. And so he knows when he passes Beersheba, he's in foreign territory. He's leaving behind the land that God had promised to give to his grandfather, his father, and to him, and to their offspring forever and ever. He doesn't know if he'll ever see it again, and in fact, he will not. But he is about to leave that place, and before he goes, he wants to take the time to seek God and to have a conversation with the Lord. And so he offered sacrifice. While he's there, most likely he asked God for direction and for guidance and for wisdom in his life. And what I love about this passage, and we don't have time to dig it all out, but God accepts his offering, and God speaks to Jacob. For the first time in many, many, many years, God opens his mouth and Jacob hears from the Lord. And God basically tells him, it's all right. You go on down to Egypt, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of your family. They're going to grow into a vast nation. In fact, you're going to see Joseph. And God tells him that Joseph will be with you when you die. And based on those promises, Jacob willingly turns his back on the promised land and he takes his family to go down into Egypt. It was a time of great encouragement for this man. Now, it's been a long time, as I said, since God had spoken to him. But now, in a time of great need, God shows up and God gives him the confirmation and the encouragement he needs to travel to Egypt in faith and confidence. Let me just say, as you and I travel through this world, there are times when we need encouragement and confirmation as well. There are times when you and I need to hear from the Lord. When God spoke to Jacob, He spoke to him, the Bible says, in the visions of the night, 
that is either in a dream state or in a vision-like state, God appeared and God spoke to him. God doesn't speak to us in that way any longer. God doesn't speak in dreams and visions. God does speak through His Word and through His Spirit. And as you wait before Him and as you seek Him, God has a way of validating His will for your life. There will come a time in your hour of need when God will speak to you. He will speak to you through this Word. He may speak to you through a still, small voice in your spirit confirming what you've read in the Word. God may confirm it just by giving you peace in your heart. But in our times of doubt and confusion and fear, the Lord will give us the direction and the encouragement we need. One of my favorite Old Testament verses is that one right there. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And I like that, don't you? I mean, we're all the time worrying. Am I going to... Am I going to make a bad decision if I do this? Is this the right thing? Is that the right way to go? Which way is the will of God? Is it over here? Is it over there? Sometimes we just don't know. And we wonder what's the next step to take. Let me tell you what you do. You spend time before God in prayer. You spend time before God in His Word. And I promise you, God will guide your steps. He will do it every time. And even when you make your plans that may in the end seem contrary to what God would have want you to have done, you'll always wind up exactly where God wants you to be. You say, that's crazy talk, preacher. Oh yeah, take it up with Proverbs 16, 9, which says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Let that sink in. You make your plans and I make my plans and we do what we think we want to do and we make our little decisions. But who is it that directs our steps? Who is it that guides us? It's God that does this. Man, I may take a step or two off course every now and then, but in the end, I wind up right where God always wanted me to be. That's an amazing thing. That gives me hope. I'm glad tonight that I don't have to design the course of my own life. It's in His hands and He knows best. And the best thing I can do is walk the best I can under the line of His Word and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I can trust God to lead me in the right place. Yes, my path may lead me through sorrow and pain. Sometimes it leads through victory and joy. But regardless of how God leads me, God has a plan. He is developing me. He is growing me. And as Job said, He knows the way that I take. And when I'm tried, I shall come forth as gold. And the reason He knows the way is because He planned the way. Sometimes I go places I don't know how to get to. But I sure am glad somebody made a GPS system. I'm glad they've mapped out the highways. I can plug in my destination and it shows me exactly how to get there. That's a good thing. I got something better than a physical GPS when it comes to the course of my life. I've got a, I've got a God positioning system and God guides my steps. He guides your steps. I don't always like the places God takes me, but I can tell you none of them have been without their lessons and without their benefit. And God gives him a time of encouragement 
where God helps him and gives him leadership along the way. I'm hurrying. We've got to get there. We've got to get there. Now I want you to move on to chapter 46, verses 28, 29, and 30. And we'll see third tonight, a time of elation. Now after this leaving of Canaan, this trip is over, and Jacob arrives down in Egypt. He sends Judah before him to prepare the way. Somebody tells Joseph, your daddy's here, and the Bible says that Joseph gets in his chariot and he rides out to meet his father. And Jacob is finally reunited with his son Joseph. And out there on these plains of Egypt, they come together, they see one another, they embrace, and the Bible tells us they wept a good while. And Jacob's heart is mended and he is elated in this moment to have Joseph in his arms again. He is so overwhelmed that he says, "Let me Now let me die since I have seen thy face because thou art yet alive. Jacob said, ain't going to get no better than this. This is a capstone moment of my life and I'm ready to leave out of here because I know you're alive and I've seen you again. You think about that. In that one moment of reunion, all the years of doubt, all the years of anguish, all the years of fear, of brokenness, of sorrow, of agony of spirit, of defeat, they evaporate in a few moments of wild excitement as this family is reunited. You know, God has a way of doing that, doesn't He? Have you ever noticed sometimes when we walk with Him through all the pain and the sorrow and the defeat and brokenness and loss of life, there will come a day when the darkness lifts. And there will come a day when joy once again fills our heart. It might be in a moment when you're just bowed before God in prayer. It might be at a time when maybe you're seeking Him in His Word. It might be when you just least expect it. God just shows up. And when God shows up, it seems that all the darkness is replaced with light all the sorrow is replaced with joy and God moves in your heart and lets you sense His presence and His goodness. It becomes real to you. And in that instant, you are changed. Hey, when he saw Joseph, all those years were still there. All those years of loss and separation were still there. But guess what? They didn't matter anymore. Didn't matter anymore. They were forgotten when He was there in the arms of His Son. What about us? Remember what Paul said when he's struggling with that thorn in the flesh? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8 that he had this thorn in the flesh and he did in that time what you and I should do. The Bible says he sought the Lord. That's a good plan. I mean, that really should be our first recourse, right? So he prays to God, and three times God refuses to take away his pain. Then you know what God tells him. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now when the pressure's on in your life and mine, and isn't it sometimes, our first recourse ought to be to seek the Lord. When we do, God has a way of guiding us through that pain to a place of joy. Paul would go on to say that he had learned to delight in all the pains and problems he had in life because he knew that when God made him weak, God was about to show himself strong. 
And Paul said, it's better for me to be broken that God may seem to be triumphant in my life. And God has a way of bringing us to that place. That place where our faith is strengthened. That place where our hope is confirmed. That place where we are given the strength to continue on for Him. That is a good place to get to. It is good when God lifts that curtain of despair and lets you enjoy His glory. When God does what Paul said in Ephesians 3.16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That is a good thing when that inward man gets a recharge. The outward man may be dying and he may be failing and he may be tired and he may be weak and he may be hurting, but God can do something on the inside that'll do something in your heart that'll change you inwardly. And then it doesn't matter what's happening out here because God has changed your heart. That's why Paul said, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Whatever it is in your life, God has a way of giving grace. He wants us weak because He doesn't want us strong. If I'm strong, then I get the glory. If if I have the mind, if I have the ability, and if I have the wherewithal to do it, and I do it all myself, I get the glory. But if I can't do it, if I'm not able to do, say, what I'm doing right now, which I'm not, and if I'm not able to live the kind of life I want to live for Him, and I'm, I'm not, and if I don't have the ability in myself to serve Him like He wants me to serve Him, and I don't, and I suspect neither do you, when I reach that place of weakness, but I'm dependent upon Him, God has a way of taking my weakness and manifesting His strength through it. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. That's what He does. Have you ever experienced a moment like Jacob experienced? Have you ever had a time in your life when the load seemed impossible to bear? Have there ever been any times in your experience when you were overwhelmed by life? Man, we've all been there, haven't we? But on the back end of that, let me ask you this. Have there ever been times of clarity when the Lord just showed up? I mean, just out of the blue, He just showed up. Like the disciples on that ship, you know, they think they're going to die. And all of a sudden in that storm, they see somebody walking on the water. And what I love our Bible, Jesus didn't really say, here am I. He said, I am. That's what He said. He said, I am. God is here. Has God ever done that for you? Has He ever just showed up in the midnight of your heart and He said, it's okay, I'm here. And God just moves in you and He lifts you in that time of weakness and brokenness and fills you with a sense of His presence and glory. I like those times. They don't happen every day. They don't. Sometimes, like in Jacob's case, there's years and years, a gap between them sometimes. Maybe weeks, maybe months. But I like it when God does that. 
And if you've ever experienced it, you know how precious it is. You know how wonderful that is, so rejoice in those things. And remember that if God can do that for Jacob, God can do that for you. And look forward to the day when He will show up in your life in your life, and let His light shine again. Live for that moment when the pain will lift. And He'll be glorified in you. I have it on good authority that things are going to get better. I don't know if it's going to happen in this world are in the next, but a better day is coming. I don't know about you, but I look forward to going to heaven. I don't know a lick about it, don't know nothing about heaven, really. God didn't give us much information about it, but I do like that verse that's up there, Revelation 21.4. I mean, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no more pain. Everything associated with this world has passed away and God wipes tears from our eyes forever. That sounds better to me. In fact, Paul said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He said that day's coming. Now, I've never seen heaven, never had a glimpse of heaven, never had a vision of it like Paul did, not being caught up there like John did, none of that stuff. But there have been a few times when heaven visited me and God let me experience those times of elation and encouragement in my life. And I bless His name for that. And every one of them is precious and priceless. I appreciate it. Happens sometimes for me when I'm in my study. And I'm sitting down there with my Bible and at my, at my computer screen typing up a sermon or working on a passage and working on an outline or whatever it is I'm doing at that moment. And it's just like all of a sudden God says, Hey, I want to talk to you. And He'll say, Look at this. And He'll show me something It's like, Hallelujah! I've been studying this for 35 years and I've never seen that. And all of a sudden He says, Hey, I wait till now to show it because now's when you needed it. You couldn't handle it till now. And I saved it for now to give you some help. God just pump a gallon of gas in my tank. Sometimes a tank full. And I appreciate that, don't you? Well, hallelujah. You got time for one more thought? And I'll be done. And I'm going to get it. Praise God. I'm going to get it done. Write this down. That's a whole bunch of chapters for me. Chapter 46, verse 31 through chapter 47, verse 12. It was also a time of enlargement. I won't say much about this. Jacob gets down there and he meets Joseph again and Pharaoh has already promised to give them the best of the land. That's a wonderful thing. Joseph is introduced, or Jacob rather, is introduced to Pharaoh. And Jacob goes in before Pharaoh, who was at that time the most powerful man in the world. He was the ruler of the most powerful and wealthy kingdom on the face of the earth. I want you to get this, get this scene in your mind. Jacob is 130 years old. He's not in the best of shape. He's a tottering, feeble old man. He's dressed in shepherd's garb. And he walks into this magnificent, opulent palace 
of Pharaoh. He walks in and he walks by all of these dignitaries and prominent and powerful men there in Egypt. I mean, he goes to all the opulence of the richest kingdom in the world and he comes in the presence of Pharaoh himself, whom the Egyptians believe to be a God-man. And he walks in with his head held high and this old shepherd blesses Pharaoh. Not just once, but he blesses him twice. Now, why did uh, Jacob bless Pharaoh? Ladies and gentlemen, he did it by faith. You know why? Because many, 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 many years ago, God had showed up at his granddaddy Abraham's place one day. Back in those days, he was called Abram. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 3, God said this, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Jacob blessed Pharaoh because Pharaoh had been good to Israel in giving them the land of Goshen and giving them riches and wealth and food and a place for their animals, even offering to hire his brothers as, as keepers of his own cattle. Pharaoh had blessed the family of God. And so Jacob, as the representative of that family, he claimed a promise that God had given years before. And he said, based on what you've done and based on what God said, I'm going to bless you. You see what happened? A shepherd walked into the court of a king and took authority. And he did it by faith. He did it by faith. Well, Jacob settled his family there. And God blessed them, didn't he? And you stop for a moment and think about this. Think about how monumental this was. The whole world is caught in the grip of an ever-deepening, worsening drought, famine that's bringing starvation and death everywhere. Yet in the face of that, God settled His people in the most prosperous place, in the most prosperous land on earth. And in the midst of that place, God prospered them. And many years later, when Moses went down to lead Israel out, they numbered in the millions. You know, God has, I think, a way of reminding us of His power. And I think one reason this passage is here to show us the glory of God, but it's also to encourage us because God has a way of taking care of His folks. Whether it's Elijah down by the brook being fed by ravens and an old widow down in Zarephath or whether it's manna being given to the children of Israel every day for 38 years in the wilderness, God will do what He has to to take care of His young. And I have it on good authority, He'll take care of you too. Now, He may not let you drive a Rolls Royce. He may not give you a six-figure bank account. He may not give you a seven-figure income. That may not be in His plan for you. I doubt it is. Probably not in His plan for me either. But that's okay, isn't it? Because I don't need a seven-figure bank account or a seven-figure income or a six-figure bank account. I don't need a Rolls Royce and I don't need a Learjet. I don't need those things. What do I need? I need food, I need clothing, and I need shelter. That's what I need. And I can trust that God will give me those things. 
because he said he would. Jesus said, God cares enough about the grass of the field to put clothes on it. He's going to put clothes on you. He says, the little birds of the air, they don't go out and go to work and worry about what they're going to do. They just get up and trust God to hand it to them, and he does. And, of course, God wants you to work now. Don't misunderstand me. Right? But God's going to take care of you. And you can count on him to do that. He leads us, he feeds us, and he has a plan for us to bring us to that place where you and I learn to trust him. Now, we cover a lot of territory. I'm rather proud of you tonight. You listened fast and I got done. Isn't that good? And we watched God do a lot in Jacob's life in just a few short minutes of our time. Something that took a while in his life. What I've tried to do is impress upon our thoughts this evening that God's in control. He's the one who devises our path. He is the one who guides our steps. He is the one who leads us through places of pain to take us ultimately to places of joy and victory. He's God. And I'll remind you of what I said way back at the start. Your duty in life is simple. Trust God. Jesus said it this way. He said, have faith in God. Believe Him. Believe Him. He knows what He's doing. He can be trusted. And that's where we'll leave Israel. We'll leave them in the land of Goshen. Uh, being shepherded by Joseph. Being provided for by Pharaoh. Always being taken care of by God. And that's where we'll leave ourselves. In the good grip of God's grace. In the middle of His plan knowing that God has our best interest at heart always. Now, I don't know what you got. You may have questions you need some help with. If you do, bring them to him. That's all I can tell you. Got needs, bring them to him. If you don't know him, and you, I've been talking about this stuff, you say, I have no idea what you're talking about. God's never visited me. God's never answered a prayer. God's never met a need. Well, let me tell you something. You need to meet him. Because if you meet him, you may not ever be able to see him in this life, but you sure can know he's around. And you can see him working in your life if you just pay. I mean, if you just pay half attention. If you want out half crazy, you can see God working sometimes if you just pay a little bit of attention. God's busy. And he's busy on my behalf and your behalf. Always accomplishing his will. We'll stop there. If you need God, you can come. Brother Bobby's going to come around. We're going to pray. You have been listening to a sermon from Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for taking the time to visit our webpage today and to listen to our sermon. Please check back often for new content. We'd love to have you visit with us at Calvary Baptist Church. The church is located at 1369 Blowing Rock Boulevard Northwest in Lenore, North Carolina. Our Sunday morning worship begins at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m., and Wednesday night at 7 p.m., and you would be welcome at any of our services. Thanks again for listening, and may the Lord bless you is our prayer.